And yes, I was to have been here last year for Moody Founders Week, but an accident put me in bed for several weeks. And here I am a year later, but better late than never. Although I want you to know, Dr. Stoll, that a few weeks ago when I was dumped out of my wheelchair on my head, and I was, I was lying there in a heap thinking, I can't miss Founders Week. I can't. But you know, those kinds of incidents aren't all that unusual, believe it or not. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was going through mail with Francie, my secretary, and she was flipping through things at my desk. And finally, in frustration, I just looked up to her and I said, Francie, would you just pull the office sofa bed out one more time? And she looked at me and said, no, you're kidding, not again. And I said, yes, again. And with that, my eyes dampened and my face flushed. You see, for the fourth time that day, I had to be lifted out of my wheelchair and laid down on the office sofa bed because I knew something was the matter with my body. Uh, skyrocketing blood pressure and shortness of breath were signaling to me that something was either pinching or bruising or, or sticking my paralyzed body somewhere. And so Francie had to pull out the office sofa bed and lay me down on it and readjust my clothing, take off my corset. And as she shifted my hips and examined my legs for any telltale pressure marks or red areas, I just... I just kind of stared vacantly at the ceiling and I mumbled, I, I want to quit. Where, where do I go to resign from this? Francie couldn't find anything wrong. She adjusted my clothing, put my corset back on, sat me back up in the wheelchair, stepped back a few paces to assess the situation and gave me a look like, are you feeling any better? But I wasn't feeling any better. I looked awfully sheepish, and I just said to her, Francie, if I were you, I would send me back for new parts. She just shook her head and she grinned. She's heard it scores of times. It's nothing new. There are times when, well, my disability is a pain. And there are times when I hate it. I went back to my dictating and Francie gathered the rest of the letters off my desk and as she was about to leave my office, she paused and turned and leaned against the door. And she said to me, you know, Johnny, I, I bet you can't wait for heaven. You know that verse that says somewhere, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling? Well, once again, my eyes dampened with tears, but this time not out of self-pity. This time the tears were out of relief and hope and joy. And I just said, yes, yes, it'll be great. She left the office and I, I honestly tried to return to my dictating, but um, that verse she mentioned kept sticking in my mind. Yes, Lord, I said as I closed my eyes, I, I do long for and look forward to heaven. And I squeezed back more tears as I dreamed of what I've dreamed of a thousand times before, the promise of heaven. 
And as I sat there quietly at my desk, a flood of other hopeful promises began filling my mind. When we see him, we shall be like him. One day the incorruptible shall put on incorruption. One day the perishable shall put on the imperishable. That which is sown in weakness one day will be raised in power and in honor. One day he shall wipe away the tears in every eye. The anointed of the Lord shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. He has given us an inheritance that can never perish, fade, or spoil. More and more verses like that kept flooding my mind, and finally I, I opened my eyes and said aloud with a very confident and a very joyful smile, Come quickly, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's true, the scene I just described to you actually happens at our office. It happens maybe, oh, two, three, perhaps four times a month. Physical problems and emotional pain just are a part of the daily package of what it means to live in this wheelchair. But I am convinced that these things are God's way of helping me get my mind where it ought to be, on heaven, on Jesus. And listen, I don't mean heaven as a as a psychological crutch or, or an escape from reality. No, God wishes to instill within each and every one of us a strong desire for the imperishable, a strong desire for the incorruptible, and the inheritance which can, can never spoil or fade or perish. But in order to grip our hearts with this promise of heaven, God sometimes takes drastic measures. <laughs> now, Often we don't appreciate his purposes at first, but later we're usually grateful for them. And Samuel Rutherford, in one of his essays a long time ago, wrote of those purposes in this short paragraph. Listen to what he said. If God told me some time ago that he were about to make me as happy as I might possibly be on this earth and that he should begin by crippling me in arm and in limb. What a strange mode of accomplishing his purpose, I would have thought. Yet how is God's wisdom manifest even in this? For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room, idolizing a set of lamps, and you wanted to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out his lamps, and then throwing open the shutters to let in the light of heaven. I love that essay because it describes me to a T. I mean, when God permitted me to break my neck, that's exactly what he did. He blew out all the lamps in my life, which lit up the here and now, and made it so captivating, made it so exciting. Now, the darkness and despair of total and permanent paralysis, that, that darkness which followed wasn't much fun, but I'll tell you this, it sure made the hope of heaven come alive. And I know that one day when Jesus comes back, Probably right when I'm 
in the middle of laying down on that office sofa bed for the umpteenth time. <laughs> right when Jesus comes back, he is going to throw open heaven's shutters. And I don't have a doubt in my mind that I'll be fantastically more excited and ready for it than if I were ever on my feet. And I guess that brings up God's first purpose. Suffering, your headaches, your heartaches, suffering really gets us ready for heaven. When I think of someone who was um, ready for heaven, I think of my niece Kelly. Let me tell you a little bit about Kelly. She was the daughter of my oldest sister, Linda. Now, Kelly got the short end of love and affection in her family because Linda and her husband had gone through a painful divorce not shortly after Kelly was born. There was a lot of problems, a lot of financial problems. My oldest sister with her three children had to go out and work and Kelly was often by herself many afternoons. Kelly always spent a lot of time with my sister Jay, with me, I was fresh out of the hospital. I lived with my sister Jay at that time. And one day when my father and I were sitting outside on the driveway of our farm, we noticed Kelly walking along the driveway, dragging her leg and limping. My father thought this was alarming. He told my sister Linda, Jay telephoned a doctor and Within a matter of days, Kelly had an appointment. The hospital did a brain scan, and it was discovered that Kelly had a very large brain tumor, a tumor that was inoperable. This devastated my oldest sister, Linda, to say the least. She was only a couple of months fresh out of a painful, horrible divorce. She couldn't handle the well, the frustration of it all. And so Kelly came to live with us, with me, my sister Jay. And there we were every evening around our dining room table, my big wheelchair, her little wheelchair. I just couldn't believe the change in Kelly. Up until then, she had been an angry little girl, tight-lipped, stubborn, quiet seething inside, rage against what was happening in her family. But what with this suffering in her life? She became a changed little girl. She'd want to listen to us read the Bible. She'd want to stay up late so she could participate in our family prayer time. And even after we put Kelly to bed and we turned on the TV, when my sister and I would wheel into the kitchen to get snacks during commercials, we'd peek in to see how Kelly was doing in her bed, and we'd hear, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And um, we turned off the TV. And just kind of huddled by the doorway of Kelly's bedroom to listen to her laugh and talk and whisper, not to her stuffed pet animals which were in bed with her, but to Jesus. Little Kelly 
was dying to see Jesus. She was literally dying to see Jesus. And the night that she died, we'll never forget it. <laughs> My sister Jay had dressed Kelly in a beautiful red little pinafore and put on white stockings and black patent leather shoes and packed her suitcase with all her favorite dresses. Yes, by this time she was out of grubby jeans and into dresses. <laughs> And while Kelly laid there stiff and paralyzed, barely able to breathe beyond a whisper, we stuffed all of her stuffed animals around her, put her suitcase on her bed, and sang songs about hope and heaven and the Lord Jesus. Linda, Kelly's mother, was able by this time to get over a lot of the pain. And I'll never forget when she came in that night to see her daughter, and she leaned over to Kelly, and Kelly looked up into the face of her mother and said, Mommy, I want to go home. And Linda said, Well, honey, you can't go home right now. I've got the other kids to take care of, and I'm working, and Jay's doing such a fine job of taking care of you. She said, no, no, Mommy, no. I want to go home to be with Jesus. And within moments, she got her wish. We uh, all sat around her bedside rather stunned and amazed and so incredibly impressed at what the Spirit of the Living God had done in this little girl's life. Suffering had prepared her for heaven. Now, you probably are wondering how your own pain and problems get you ready for heaven. Well, I do know this, that broken necks, and broken homes, and especially broken hearts. Crush our hopes that earth can really satisfy. Only heaven can truly move our eyes off of this world, which God knows could never fulfill us anyway, right? That glorious day when we shall be like him becomes our passion as we realize that earth can never ever meet our deepest longings. Now, th there was a time when I didn't always feel this way. <laughs> Definitely didn't feel this way. I mean, as far as I was concerned, heaven was some nebulous, vague, misty, far-off place where I would put on an angel costume and sprout feathered wings and polish gold all day long, and I had taken 10 years of piano lessons on my feet, and I did not want to go and play a harp somewhere else. No, 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 heaven was not for me. But suffering got me ready for heaven too. When I finally realized that earth couldn't meet my deepest longings, this world could never really satisfy my desires, when it began to strike me that I would never again peel an orange or splash my feet in the stream or, or feel the embrace of a friend or then I saw suffering get me ready for heaven. I mean, do you know what it means to somebody like me that one day I'm going to have a, have a new body? I mean, no other religion, no other philosophy offers you that kind of hope. But, but let me get personal here. You may assume that when I get my brand new resurrected body, the first thing I'm going to do is jump up, dance, kick, do aerobics, comb my own hair, 
floss my own teeth, file my own nails. <laughs> no, no, not so. That's not what I'm going to do. Although I will be free to do these things, the first thing I'm going to do with my new resurrected legs is to fall on grateful, glorified knees. It'll be my sacrifice of praise to the Lord Jesus. Now, people often say, well, that's it. I mean, that's what excites you most about heaven, right? A new body. But wrong again, not so. I think what excites me most about a heavenly glories above is not necessarily having a new body, having a new heart. Aren't you tired of the presence of sin in your life. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Jesus has released you from the power of sin. You can reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God, but we still have to put up with its presence, don't we? And don't you just get sick and tired of it sometimes? I know that um, having been raised as a Reformed Episcopalian, the Book of Common Prayer is something so close to me, and I have confessed the general confession to God Almighty so many times. Now mind you, I love that beautiful prayer. Almighty and most merciful God, we have erred. We have strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought not to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us, miserable sinners. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare us as we confess our faults. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? And in one way, I love praying it, especially when I feel soiled and stained from sin, because I, I can't find better words to couch my feelings of remorse and regret over my offense to God. But yet, on the other hand, I hate those words. I can't wait for the day when one day I'll have a new heart and I'll never have to say, I have sinned. With a new heart and a new body, I can't wait for that day when I'm going to stand before Jesus after I lift myself up above a grateful, glorified knees, stand before Jesus and shout to the universe that worthy is the Lamb Jesus who was slain to receive the power and the riches and the wisdom and the might and the honor and the glory and the blessing. And listen, my heart, my new body, your glorified body as well. I mean, those are just the fringe benefits of the fact that it's his day. It's the day of Christ. It's the time when he is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's his coronation moment. And we're just there for the celebration. Our new hearts, our new homes, our new names, our new bodies are just, well, as I said, fringe benefits to the celebration. And I can't wait. Suffering prepares you and it prepares me for heaven. Which brings me to um, a second purpose of God's. Suffering wins us rich rewards in heaven. Now let me explain. You see, when it comes to rewards, Kelly, my little niece who died of brain cancer, Kelly never had a chance to share Christ with her playmates. She never had a chance to memorize a lot of verses or, or, or win medals in Sunday school. 
She, she didn't do things for Jesus. She just was for Jesus. But you don't think that little girl heaped up for herself a huge treasure of rich reward? I have a feeling that Kelly's childlike faith through the fire and her simple belief in the middle of brokenness and her quiet trust inside of her tribulations aided her not only down here on earth but her suffering will serve her for eternity. Think about it. Don't you think when that little girl smiled from her bed of pain, don't you think God's glory shined all the brighter? Don't you think when she laughed from that little wheelchair paralyzed, don't you think that exalted God all the higher? And you better believe that when she sang in that weak little whisper in the middle of the night, Jesus loves me, this I know. Don't you think that brought a smile to the face of God? And when she said, I want to go home, home to be with Jesus, don't you think that the Lord just threw open heaven's gates to make even more wide the access for that little girl? Heaven will be wonderful, not in spite of our pain, but because of our pain. It's like this. This is a good illustration. Has, um, has anybody ever knitted you a sweater? It felt good to wear it, didn't it? I mean, somebody else's time, somebody else's sacrifice, it cost something for your friend to knit you that sweater. And when you wore it, I tell you, it was better thing than better than anything you could have gotten on sale at the May Company, right? <laughs> I remember a time when um, a friend of mine with cerebral palsy baked me cookies. This young woman in a wheelchair also, her fingers gnarled and twisted and rigid. You don't think it took effort for her to crack those eggs into a bowl and then to mix the dough? And when she presented me, this uh, plate of cookies. I just didn't even want to eat them. <laughs> I mean, finally I did taste one. And let me tell you, it was a lot better than anything Mrs. Fields could have put together. <laughs> I remember when I was in occupational therapy shortly after my injury. It was getting close to Christmas time. I had only been injured a few months. And my occupational therapist suggested that I create Christmas gifts for my family. And she showed me a, a plaster Paris plate and explained that if I would let her put a paintbrush in between my teeth, I could splatter colors on this plate and then she would fire it in a kiln and it would make a beautiful gift. Well, I went ahead and did just that. And, and I thought it looked awfully sloppy. I mean, paint was everywhere. But my therapist gingerly took this plaster Paris messy plate <laughs> and stuck it in the kiln and fired it up. And then she took holiday wrapping paper and together we designed the bow and selected the, the kind of paper. And when my mother opened that gift, and when I saw the tears in her eyes, I know that she treasured that plate far better than any any, any piece of wedgewood china that would go on the auction block at Christie's, right? 
I was just down in Orlando, Florida uh, the last couple of days speaking at a Bible conference there. And a young brain-injured college student wheeled up to me. She was very pretty, very, very bright, but severely brain-injured, nonverbal, drooled a little bit, sat twisted in her wheelchair. I learned from her mother and father that she had been a design major in college at the time of her head-on collision. And uh, she wanted to give me a gift. It was a necklace that she had designed. And there was a verse um, tied to one of the beads on the necklace, and it said, the lame shall leap like deer. And then the little medallion at the bottom of the necklace uh, had an imprint of a deer. I couldn't even say thanks. I was so choked up. And maybe aside from my wedding ring, it might be the most valuable piece of jewelry I own. Do you see what I'm saying? When we present God something that costs us, it makes his glory shine all the brighter. It brings the bigger smile to his face. It warms his great heart even more than we could possibly imagine. When I pray, for instance, I um, spend a lot of my time praying in bed. Now, you think I'm paralyzed in this wheelchair. I am really paralyzed in bed. Gravity is my enemy. I can't move. And sometimes when I pray, I feel as though my bed is like an altar of sacrifice, and my prayers arise like sweet-smelling fragrance. And I feel as though my, my prayers are filtered through this grid of my disability. My, my, my bed is kind of an altar. And sometimes I think that when God hears my prayers, voice to the megaphone of my disability, don't you think they resonate before the throne of God? Suffering wins you those kinds of rewards. Not bestsellers. No, no, no. When I go to heaven, God is not going to be impressed with the fact that I've written 11 books. That is no big deal to him. But it is demonstrating faith through the fire. It is demonstrating belief in the middle of brokenness. It is exhibiting trust within the tribulation. Ha ha ha. And what are we going to do with those rewards? Well, this is the best part. Revelation chapter 4 describes the scene. You are worthy, God, to receive glory and honor and power. Isn't that to him as a love gift? And this is the purpose that I... And whatever you offer to God as a result of your suffering, reward could you possibly want? But... In other words, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. <laughs> and you don't think much of what it says. And tell me that the Apostle Paul didn't write this with the heart of a child. Or I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to gain Christ and be found in Him. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Sharing in His sufferings and becoming like Him in His death. Hmm. As far as Kelly was concerned, Ninja Turtles and Nintendo were rubbish. 
Like Paul, Kelly thought these things weren't even worth considering. She wanted to see Jesus. And in a way, Kelly was becoming like him in his death. She was dying to know the Lord. It's kind of a funny expression, isn't it? You know how you're dying to know the... Dying to know... Your sophomore daughter says she's dying to know the football captain from the local high school. Or maybe your little leaguer is dying to meet Daryl Strawberry. Or maybe you're dying to meet um, the neighbor who's going to move in next door. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over for side two. Come on. I mean, you're not actually ready and willing to kick the bucket to find out who's going to move in next door, right? It's a very silly expression, but there is one use of that expression that is not silly. Are you dying to know Jesus? Listen, when we see him, we shall be like him, but only on earth can we be like him in his death. Again, Paul said it best in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection becoming like him in his death. This is a way to get prepared for heaven, become like Jesus in his death. Kill sin in your members. Be crucified with Christ. Be conformed to his death. Mortify the flesh. Now, if Dr. John MacArthur were standing up here right next to me right now, he'd say, well, Johnny, the mortification of the flesh was taken care of in Romans chapter 6. I say, yes, Dr. J, you're absolutely right. No, I wouldn't say that to him. <laughs> Way to go, John. No. <laughs> I'm talking about the outward mortification of the flesh. The daily dying to self. In short, that means put a lid on your temper. It means put a break on those selfish longings. It means quit daydreaming about the arms of your best friend's husband. It means quit manipulating with that precisely timed phrase or two. It means quit fudging the truth. In short, be crucified with Christ. And don't you dare try and do it by pulling yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps. No, it won't work that way. Paul's got the right prescription. It's got to be through the power of his resurrection. Only then can we become conformed to him in his death. Your suffering prepares you to meet God. I mean, just think, just, just think. So suppose you had never known pain in your life. No, no stained reputation, no bruised feelings, no sore back, no twisted ankle, no decayed molars. How could you appreciate the scarred hands with which the Lord Jesus Christ will one day greet you. If no one had ever offended you deeply, how in the world could you adequately express gratitude to the man of sorrows acquainted with grief? When you and I meet Jesus face to face, and I think it's coming soon, when you and I meet him face to face, our headaches and our heartaches will have given us at least a little tiny taste of what he went through in order to purchase our redemption and our promise of heaven. 
And our loyalty in those sufferings will give us something tangible, something concrete, so that we can give back to Jesus what's due him on his day. For what proof could we possibly bring of our love and faithfulness if in this life we were left totally unscarred? And one more thing, and I've got to add this. People who suffer broken necks, broken hearts, broken homes, the stained reputation, the sore muscles, the aching back, the bruised feelings. People who suffer at a vantage when it comes to getting prepared to meet God. 1 Peter chapter 4.1 explains why. He who has suffered in this body has ceased from sin. It's true. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, when Peter wrote that to his readers, he was writing to some of his brothers and sisters in Christ who were really going through the dregs. Lots of trials, lots of tribulations. And Peter knew that the special temptation would be for them to use their sufferings to accuse the goodness of God or to complain against him. But he says, no, he who suffers in the flesh cease from sin. I see it happen in my life. I mean, hey, you know, my flesh is paralyzed. My wheelchair keeps me out of a lot of trouble. <laughs> yes, right. And maybe it's because of my wheelchair that certain sins just don't seem as appealing, as attractive. And your suffering can help make sin less attractive, less appealing for you as well. And all that will help serve you in eternity. The promise of heaven is not some lifeless pledge on a cross-stitched plaque on a wall. No, no, the, the promise of heaven is real and it's alive and it's here and it's now and it's for you, you who will believe. Yet I think there must be some of you here tonight who don't believe and you know who you are. You were dragged here this evening by your Christian friends. <laughs> they've been praying for you. They've been witnessing to you. And you thought you'd go to this Moody Founders Week Saturday night thing because you heard there was going to be some halfway decent music and some lady in a wheelchair was going to talk about God. And you thought, great, well, handicapped people need religion. And maybe when you walked in here tonight, you were a little dry in your spirit and calloused and indifferent and cool towards spiritual things, but your heart's been strangely warmed. And tonight you've heard about things that excite you, that well up within you a kind of hope that you've never experienced. That's the Spirit of Christ speaking to you. He wants you to have the promise of heaven, but it means coming to know him in a personal way first, because remember, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people, and you've got to get your heart prepared. That means bundling up all that sin and putting it at the foot of the cross tonight and then inviting Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. You're going to have a chance to pray a prayer tonight to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And then you too will have that marvelous promise of heaven. You have it, you who are Christians. 
And let me tell you something, if a five-year-old girl named Kelly can do it, if she can allow her suffering to get her ready for heaven, if a five-year-old girl can permit her suffering to prepare her to meet God, if a child can use that suffering to build up eternal rewards, then what about us? Would you allow suffering to get you ready for heaven? When you allow God to use it to prepare you to meet him, when you use it to build up eternal rewards, the hope of heaven is going to throb with such vibrancy and such present tense excitement for you. A strong desire for the imperishable will bring heaven very near and very real to you. And then Hebrews 12:22 really will shine with that present tense excitement as you know and are convinced that you too have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of joyful angels in assembly. You have come to the church of the firstborn. You have come to God. Not you will come, but you have come. You can begin living heaven right now. Think about it. You're, all, you're almost home. The days are evil. The time is short. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And you are right now in contact with the unseen world. At this moment, you are conversant with and present among things unseen. And when you allow heaven to brighten your everyday problems, intervening time and space is suddenly removed, and your soul not will be, but can be right now, transported into heavenly glories above. This hope is for all who fix their eyes on heavenly glories. It is for those who truly do have their conversation in heaven. Listen to the child within you, would you? For if such is the kingdom of heaven, and I hope you'll join me, yield to God's purposes in your suffering, don't delay. As I said, the time is short. Amy Carmichael said that we will have all of eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few short hours before sunset in which to win them. <laughs> and one day we will be together in eternity. And then maybe after a short slice of eternity, you and I can enjoy a tennis game on the backside of the courts of heaven. And then and there, I will introduce you to Kelly. Hold on, for soon, very soon, we shall be like him. Our risen hearts and free will be, pure passion, poured purely. Adore he who will give us this heart free to love for the first time again. Our risen body, light, bright, clothed with righteousness, blessed with glowing flesh, will feel, really feel for the first time again. But now we wait, wait, wait for our risen Lord, who will reward we who weep, yet still seek him above all. So stand we tall together for the first time ever. Eternity is ours. Though I spend my mortal lifetime in this chair, 
others may receive gifts of healing i believe that he has given me a gift beyond compare for heaven is nearer to me and at times it is all i can see sweet music i hear coming down to my and I know that it's playing for me. For I am Christ, the Savior's own bride. And redeemed, I shall stand by his side. He will say, shall we dance? And our endless romance will be with him whose pain my Savior hears, and I weep with him who still his anguish fears. But earthly joys and earthly tears are confined to earthly years, and a greater good the Word of God reveals. In this life we have a cross that we must bear, a tiny part of Jesus' death that we can share. And one day we'll lay it down, cause he has promised us a crown to which our suffering can never be compared. That's why heaven is nearer to me. And at times it is all I can see. Sweet music I hear coming down to my ear, and I know that it's playing for me. For I am Christ, the Savior's own bride, and redeemed I shall stand by his side. He will say, Shall we dance? And our endless Let's do heaven. God bless you and thank you for listening.